If you have your Bible uh, or have a phone or a tablet that has a Bible app on it, just start making your way to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I want to welcome you. Good morning. Uh, it's almost after, is it noon yet? It's almost afternoon. Uh, almost time for lunch, am I right? Yeah? Uh, well, hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, and we are kind of kicking off a little bit of a different series for us over the next few weeks called Life Verse. Uh, and we are going to be uh, having a couple of pastors or a few pastors on our staff uh, sharing a life verse with you, uh, verses that have meant a lot to us. And uh, kind of along the way, just kind of get to know who we are and how we serve our church in various roles. And uh, speaking of which, if you don't already know who I am, my name is Andy Huff and I am the creative arts pastor here at our church. And I understand there's actually a little bit of confusion over that. And wanted to kind of clarify, my title is not Pastor of Arts and Crafts, uh, which is what some people thought. It's Creative Arts Pastor, and, and there is a difference. Uh, but as far as Creative Arts Pastor, when I say that, here's kind of what that looks like. You know, I'm involved in a lot of the video production and graphic design uh, that we do here at our church. Also, a lot of the dramas that may take place on a Sunday morning or during special events. Got a lot of involvement there. But it really goes beyond that through the week. Uh, I do a lot uh, of leading the way in how we promote uh, events and how we get information out to our church body. Also sort of responsible for helping manage, the, uh, or manage our brand as the Heights Baptist Church. And that seems like maybe kind of a weird thing for a church to focus on or need to focus on. But really the reality is our, our church is growing beyond geographical borders. And uh, we have another campus out at Midlothian and we have people, an ever-growing radius of where we draw people from. And we want to make it extremely easy uh, for people to connect with us and learn how they can get involved here at our church. So that's part of what that's about and, and what that uh, involves. And I'm going to tell you uh, something my job involves a lot of is creative thinking, which means that I drink a lot of coffee, probably dangerous amounts of coffee, actually. Uh, and if you were thinking of what you might get me for Christmas, Starbucks gift cards is like awesome. That'll keep me going through the year. So just write that down. First point in your notes. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I actually haven't been doing the creative arts pastor job, uh, since I came on staff. This is, I'm going into my sixth year of being on staff here at our church. And I started in the middle school pastor position. Uh, and I got to tell you, I really, really love middle school kids. I think it's probably because I act like a middle school kid most of the time, uh, is why I really worked well there. Uh, but I also really enjoy the creative process. And I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, uh, I just enjoy serving our church. I just enjoy serving the body of Christ. And, and I'm excited about however God seeks to use me uh, in those ways. And I uh, just kind of want to give you a little bit of background on me before we kind of move into my life verse today. Uh, you, may not, you may think my best feature is my face, but it's actually not. <laughs> the, kids, uh, the kids know I talk about my face a lot, apparently, when I was teaching in front of them. But it's not. It's my family. They are awesome. I have a picture of them right here, uh, and, and they are great. Uh, my wife, Jay, and I have been married for nine years. A uh, little fun trivia about Andy and Jay. We were actually married on this property before the church was built here. 
So we have a little bit of connection uh, or a little bit of history that goes back even before I came on staff full time. And uh, my two boys there are Peyton and Caleb, and they are six and four, and they take after their dad, which means they're like huge nerds, So, which is fine. That's how we roll in our house. So uh, it's good. You know, I just real quick, I uh, kind of quick background on me. I grew up in Tennessee. I uh, came to know Christ at an early age. I uh, was homeschooled all the way through from kindergarten to 12th grade. <laughs> yes. So, it, it, yeah. And, uh, and uh, then I also went to Liberty University, uh, where I got my bachelor's degree in religion, and then also had the opportunity to attend Dallas Theological Seminary, where I got my master's degree in Christian education. So that's a real quick background on me. And, you know, to be honest with you, my life has, has been really blessed. Uh, God's done a lot of great things in my life. has given me way more than I deserve. Uh, I definitely don't deserve the awesome family that I have, uh, but he's given it to me. And, and to be honest with you, it kind of makes Romans 8.28 a little bit of an interesting verse for me to choose because Romans 8.28 has a lot to do uh, with, uh, with, with, with trusting God in the midst of some tough circumstances. And we're going to talk more about that. But I want to know if you found Romans 8 yet. I literally gave you my entire introduction to find it. Are we all there? Are we good? Yes. Do I have to go back over my life story or did you all... That's, okay, never mind. Uh, you know, we heard the Romans 8:28 on the video, but I want to go back over it again. And we're also going to read 29 and 30 because those are very important to understanding what, what's happening in verse 28. So let's read this together. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the Bible, for the freedom we experience to be able to be here today, to dive into what this book is, uh, is all about. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us see you in the midst of these words. And Father, we um, thank you for this church, for the community we experience. Pray that you would be honored and lifted up uh, through the things that we discover about you uh, in the scriptures. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a lot going on in this passage, and so we're going to jump right in. I've got about 45 to 55 minutes of material. Uh, and so I really need to try to, I'm just kidding. I don't have that much material, uh, but it is a lot going on. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, I, I do think this is a little bit of an odd life verse for me to have. And before we kind of talk about the verse, uh, a life verse, in case you kind of not aren't familiar with the, uh, that idea is really a verse or a set of verses that, that have really like you, you just, for whatever reason in your life, you kind of grabbed hold of those and you've held on to those, or they keep coming up in your life as, as things, as, as things that, uh, that really speak to you, or things that really help you through uh, some of life's seasons. And uh, so, you know, I'm relatively young, and I like to keep thinking that I'm only going to stay young, but uh, I haven't really, in my life, got to experience a lot of the hardship uh, that others have experienced. So I, I've, I've had a lot of, of good things happen in my life, which is awesome, and I thank God for those things. 
Um, but a verse about God working all things together for good's really stuck with me. And it stuck with me for a couple of reasons that I want to share with you this morning. First, I've kind of been reflecting on this verse uh, over the past few weeks. Um, I think one of the reasons that it really has stuck with me over time is, is it really represents something for me that, that's sort of foundational. And that's this, th- this weird collection of letters and documents that we put together in this book and we call it the Bible. You know what this thing is? It's real. It's re- the, the Bible is real. It really is what we claim it to be. It is a living, breathing extension of a holy God. See, for a long time, I would approach this book like it was a book, right? Because that's what it is. It's a book. And like any good book, like, you know, you want to read it. And I don't know about you, but very rarely do I go back and, and read even the best books that I've read. But we are like, sometimes with the Bible, we're like, okay, well, I'll go back. I read it. Well, I'll go back and read it again. And then you hear us saying all the time, you got to read it all the time, right? But it was just a book to me. It didn't mean anything. These were just words. It didn't do anything. And see, here's, here's what I learned as I grew in my relationship with God. See, I think a lot of people are there with me where we just kind of look at this and we don't understand what this is. We think it's just a book. But here's what it is. The, the, the Bible actually doesn't say, it doesn't speak, right? doesn't say anything to us. But when we get this, it, it changes everything. These are words that a God, the God of the universe, gave to men to put down in this book. So when we read this, we're not just reading words. We're, we're hearing from God. If he was here, if he could speak to us, this is what he would say. And here's the thing. God's very complex. He is a very complex God. He is hard to understand. And the fact that he would come down and give us something and say, I want you to know me. And it's huge. And we, and we have to treat this thing with respect to some, and, and also to some degree, know how to approach it. Because when we start thinking about, man, this is from God, we, st- we have to try to step back. We have to say, you know what? I can't go to it as a normal book and be like, well, what did I get out of it? What did I get out of what I read? No, no, no. We've got to come to this thing, and here's what I try to do. Hopefully it's helpful to you too. The very best thing I can do is I can try and read the words that God put into this book without reading into them. That's what I try to do. I don't want to read into it. I just want to read it. And I want God's spirit to illuminate that for me and tell me what it is about him that he wants to say. So Romans 8.28 kind of represents for me a verse that I used to think of in my, in, on my terms. But now I think of it, or I try to think of it, and hopefully I'm succeeding at thinking of it, on God's terms. And so the first thing about reading it from God's perspective, understanding it as a part of God, God's heart to me, has led me to understanding something else about it. And that's the second sort of observation that I have about this. And that's this. You know, I used to think Romans 8, 28, it says God works everything out for the good of those who love him, right? Well, I love God. So I used to think, okay, so that means he's going to work out things for, for my good, right? I mean, like, uh, like, like he's going to make sure I get good things. Uh, and, you know, that, that girl that, that forgot that she was supposed to go out with me? You know, that's okay, because, I mean, he's got a way better girl out there for me, right? 
That actually happened to me, by the way. Isn't that sad? Yeah. She forgot she was supposed to go out with me. Anyway, uh, it wasn't my wife. <laughs> so <laughs> thank goodness for that. Uh, so I always thought my, uh, Romans 8.28 was, man, you love God. You do the right things. That's going to turn out great. You read the Bible. You pray. You, you sing. Your life will turn out great. That's what God's saying. And it may not be great at first, but it's going to turn out great eventually. And I've led a good life, and and I've tried to love God to the best of my ability, and and that seems to make sense to some degree. But then, I don't know about you, but I start looking around, and there's a lot of people who love God who don't have good lives. There's a lot of people who love God who actually experience a lot of suffering in our world. As a matter of fact, we kind of are getting a glimpse of this in our world today. There's people who love God who are going to be murdered because they love God. And then sometimes we go to that verse and, "Ah, it's okay, I mean, something good, but it's hard to see. And here's the thing. See, these words aren't meaningless because that happens in our world. I was just reading the wrong meaning into them. Romans 8.28 is not about how good my life's going to be because I love God. You know what Romans 8, 28 is about? It's about how I can have joy. You and I can have joy in the midst of a life that's far from good. How we can have joy, true joy, true happiness, true hope in the midst of a life that is far from good. Now, if you've waded into any kind of theological discussions of any kind with people, you probably recognize some really big words floating around in this uh, in this passage. We're not going to jump into a lot of those, like calling and justification and predestination. We're not... We're not talking about any of those today. But verses 29 and 30 are very important for us to kind of get, a, get this idea of what is being communicated to us in verse 28. And we have to approach these set of verses very carefully. Remember, we've got, to, we've got to try to get outside of us and look at them the way that God was giving them to us. And so context is everything. And so we're going to broaden our context a little bit here. We've got to understand that these passages were written by a man. His name was the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul was a man, a very a specific man, uh, chosen by God for a specific purpose to reach a specific group of people. And Paul uh, wrote this letter to a group of Christians who were living in Rome. And the Roman Christians, I got to tell you, they knew persecution. They were living out that they ha- they're going to have to probably die for their faith. That, that was their life. So when Paul writes, hey, guess what? God works everything out for good. He's writing to a group of people who knew nothing but bad. And they were going to die because they loved God. So Paul made two very, very strong statements that I think we've got to wrap our brains around in order to lean into this verse the way that he intended us, the way that God intended us to. So the first thing is this. We understand uh, this is going to be huge. You ready? That all things means all things. Anybody? Yeah? All things means all things. See, bad circumstances in our life, it's going to happen to everybody. We aren't immune from bad circumstances because we love God. As a matter of fact, there's places in Scripture where we probably should expect more bad circumstances in our life because we love God, because there's some people out to get us if that's the case. But we're not immune to it. And here's the other thing that Romans 8:28 kind of shares with us that Paul shares with us in this passage. 
Bad circumstances are the norm. We should expect bad circumstances to be the norm because here's the, here's the truth. You ready? Re- this is real talk, right? Is that, I think that's it. This is real talk. If you've got anything good, it's from God. If there's anything good in your life, it's from God. God gave it to you. It's not because you got it. It's not because the world handed it to you. Man, our world is broken. We should be experiencing nothing but pain, nothing but hardship. And yet we get glimpses of joy, don't we? Man, my boys give me a lot of joy. God gave me that. That's from him. And Romans 8, 28 is all about how God has good in mind for our lives. But you know what? It's actually not the good that we often think it is. Our thoughts are not often in line with God's thoughts on what our good is. Now, here's the cool thing about God. A lot of people don't know this. I'm just throwing truth bombs all over the place. This is awesome. Sometimes God explains himself. <laughs> right? So when he says he's working out good in your life, he actually tells us what that good is in this passage. Uh, see, because when I think of good, what, what, what do you think? What, I'm thinking of, of like health, happiness, you know, God wants me to be rich, right? Like really rich, like jet ski rich, right? Isn't that the richest you can be is if you can own a jet ski? Yes, man, that's what God wants for me. No, he tells us in Romans 20 and verse 29 right here, here's the good, you ready? Here's what God's working on, that you be conformed to the image of his son. Be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good God has in store for each and every one of us. Not that we're healthy, not that we're happy, not that we're rich. Nothing less than the transformation of the entire person into the character of Jesus. And this goes beyond acting like Jesus acted. Or how we like to say it, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do? This goes beyond that. Okay? Paul wasn't interested in what Jesus did. He went further than that. He said, you know what? There's more. Forget what he did. How does Jesus think? Who is he? What's, what's his mind like? What's his character like? That's what we want. You know, he, he, wrote, he wrote about this again in Philippians 2.5. It says this. Let this, uh, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Other versions say, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. You know, here's what I think is true. Okay, I don't think Jesus ever stood around and was like, you know, when it, whenever a situation came, popped up in his life, he was like, WWID. You know, like, what would I do? I don't think he ever said that, right? He just did. He just went and he acted because it was part of who he was. And so when Paul is talking about being transformed or molded or shaped into Jesus, when he's talking about having the same mind, he's talking about, you know what? You don't have to stop being you and think about what Jesus would do. You just do it because that's who you are. That's what he was talking about. That's the goal God has in store for us. So I want to reword Romans 8, 28 a little bit to kind of give you uh, a more, uh, help, help us get around this. And here's how I reworded it. It says this, God works in everything so that in the end, each and every one of those who truly love him will look exactly like his son. This is what Romans eight twenty eight is about. 
God works in everything, yeah. So that in the end, each and every one of those who truly love him will look exactly like Jesus. See, I added the, by the way, the in the end part, because what 29 and 30 do for us in this passage is actually shows us the process. It's ongoing. It's a thing that starts when we choose Jesus, but it doesn't end until we see him face to face. That's when we will be completely transformed. But it's an ongoing process. That's what it means when it says that, that these people that truly love God, those he's calling for this purpose to turn them into, into somebody that looks like Jesus, he says they, he glorifies them. And don't get hung up on the past tense of those words in this passage because here's what that means when he says he glorified them. And we see that and we're like, wait, I'm going to be honest with you. I look around and none of you are glorified. I'm sorry. It's obvious, right? We're not glorified yet. But here's what he means when he says glorified. You know what? It's so certain, it might as well be I've already been done. That's what that means. It's so certain, it might as well already be done. Because here's the thing, no matter our circumstances, doesn't matter if they're good, bad, doesn't matter. God is working on us. He's working towards a specific goal, right? The transformation of us into Jesus. And here's how big God is. Nothing will stop him. It's done. It's as good as done because he's going to finish it because he said he would finish it. And God does what he wants. That's where true joy comes from, by the way. See, joy doesn't come from having great circumstances in our lives. We're not happy because, because everything goes right. Remember, everything's not supposed to go right. If something goes right, then, you know, that means we got out of the way and God did something. True joy comes not from our lives going perfectly, not from our world being safe, not from justice being served, because you know what? Our lives aren't perfect. Our world's never been safe. And justice has yet to be served. And some of these things are going to happen, but that's not why we have joy. We have joy and we have hope because God works. God works. As I was uh, kind of looking at these verses and reading and, and studying, you know, these are the two words that, that kind of struck me as the thing that connects me to this passage. See, the first thing about it that's so awesome for me about it, uh, or why it's kind of been a part of my life, is that it represents me being able to step outside of myself and try to read the Bible for what it is. But then the second is, man, you know what? I don't know about your life. I've had some tough things happen in my life. I've known people who have had some horrible things happen in their life. I see a lot of stuff happening in our world today. And it's hard to see God working sometimes. But the truth of this, this, this verse, the truth of the Bible, the truth that God communicates to us is this. And he's working. He's absolutely working. And he's working on what he wants to work on. He's working on us. Becoming more like Jesus. Now, I'm going to jump on my uh, soapbox real quick, if that's okay. Because this, this thing, this idea is what bothers me a little bit about sometimes how I react, sometimes how others react, about injustice in our world. Because I think sometimes we, we see a lot of the evil that's going on, or we see a lot of things that may happen. And, and yeah, absolutely, we'll be like, oh yeah, there's sin. Yeah, the world's broken. But we get frustrated, don't we? Gosh, like, ugh. Why is this happening? 
And I think sometimes what's, what's hard and why we can't kind of move beyond the frustration is, is we've made a decision about what we think God should be working on. I think God needs to be working on making things right. That's what he needs to be working on. He needs to be working on keeping me safe, keeping my family safe. He needs to be working on keeping me happy. He needs to be working on keep, keeping the people I can't stand unhappy, right? That's what we want. But here's the thing. That's not what God wants. Do you know that? He doesn't want you to stop hurting. You know what he wants? When you hurt, he wants you to look like Jesus. That's what he wants. When we see something wrong happening, he wants us to have that instant reaction just like Jesus did. And to go and to serve and to love and to be a part of what he's doing. That's what he wants from us. You know, I could, I could uh, keep going at this point. I could talk about a lot of different things. I could talk about um, how God works. You know, how we can see that. Because like I said, sometimes it's hard. We could talk about how to read the Bible, you know, with less of our perspective, more of God's. Because that's a practice, by the way. You've got to practice that. That doesn't happen overnight. You've really got to work on pulling yourself out of the way. And when you read the scriptures asking that question, I mean, what, what, is, what is God communicating about himself here? You know, we could also talk about, we could spend a lot of time talking about how, what, it, what that means to look like Jesus in the face of hurt or pain or, or just persecution. We could talk about all of those things, but you know what? I got places to go. You guys got places to go? Anybody got reservations already somewhere? No? I tell you what, after preaching three services, I'm going to take a huge nap this afternoon, right? Anybody Sunday afternoon naps? Greatest thing ever? No? People with kids know what I'm talking about. People with small kids know we never get Sunday afternoon naps. It's awful. Talk about injustice. Anyway. I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with the thing that I think is so huge in this verse. It's the first thing we should deal with before we even talk about joy in the midst of suffering. Now, I, didn't think, I bet you didn't think that was going to happen, right? I give you the first thing you should do at the end of the message. It makes no sense whatsoever, but it's okay. Let's roll with it. The very, very first thing we need to, we need to see about this is, is, is here. I, I, God's working, absolutely. He's working on transforming you into Jesus. That's the, one of the greatest works he can do. But you know what? He only does that for those who love him. That's the other thing in this verse. God only does this for those who love him, not just anybody. And those who love God, those who truly love God, are those who have accepted Jesus as his son, accepted what he did that we read about in this book. The great rescue plan that God put into place where he sent his son to the cross and Jesus died for you and for me and took on all his wrath, all the wrath of God for everyone. Died, was buried, rose again. Man, that, when we get that, when we get who Jesus is and we say, you know what, I'm going to follow him. That's who loves God. That's who God says, I'm going to start working on you. Paul uh, wrote this verse in Romans uh, 10, 9. I actually decided last service, man, if I was going to have another life verse, because you can only have one. Do you all know that? I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it, it might be Romans 10, 9. I mean, this, is, this passage is so awesome. 
He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe Jesus is who he said he was, and if you say that, you say, man, I believe it. I believe exactly what Jesus said, who he said he was, what he said he was there to do, and you confess that publicly, you will be saved. And, and by the way, not only saved from eternal, uh, from eternal suffering, from separation from God for eternity, not just that, from a life that, that has no joy otherwise. A life that has no joy otherwise is also what you'll be saved from. Because again, true joy is found in the fact that God is working and He will finish His work. So here's the question I feel like, uh, I, I pitch this question to a lot, a lot of people when I'm having this conversation. Um, and I think it's a question that you, that you may have to deal with and wrestle with. It's a question that God, that Jesus himself used. And that's this, who, who is Jesus? See, Jesus, when, with the guys that were around him, he posed that question a lot. Who, who do you think I am? He was trying to get them to affirm something. Affirm that they really did understand and believe what he said. And that they were willing to say, you know what? You're the son of God. I'm going to put my trust in you. And here's what happens. This is awesome. As soon as we do that, God's work starts. His work starts. And we start being transformed from the dead, lifeless person we were into a person that's alive because Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for our church. We thank you for your word. We are humbled that you love us so much that you even bless us with good things, Lord. We thank you for those good things. Our hearts go out to those who are hurting and suffering, those who are experiencing persecution in your name. We pray for your peace for them, as well as that joy that can be found in knowing that despite our circumstances, you are at work. And that there's no force on earth that can derail you from from the goals and plans you have placed in motion. Father, we... uh, We understand that that a decision is before us about who Jesus is. And I thank you for those who have come to that place where they can say that, yes, they know Jesus, and yes, they are confident that you are working on them. Father, I pray for those who have questions, that you would help them to interact with others so that they can come to know more about this man, Jesus, and how they can begin that journey of being transformed more into his character. Father, we thank you uh, for the community we have here. We thank you for um, what you're doing in the lives of some of the people here in our church and how we're reaching out beyond, uh, beyond our, our, even our, our country um, to proclaim your name. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.